Welcome into another episode of the Musketeer Report podcast. Paul Fritschner, Rick Broing with you. And Rick, we have a lot to talk about because this week or these past couple of weeks really have been some crazy times around the fourth floor of Cintas and the Xavier basketball program with roster changes, roster additions, uh, health questions, everything else. There is a lot to talk about, and it starts with a commitment that Xavier just got earlier today as we record this. A Slovenian big man, Sasha Siani, is how I was told, at least, that we were pronouncing this. I know Tom Eisner's probably listening to this podcast. So, Tom, if I got it wrong, that's on you. It's Sasha Siani, 6'9", 225-ish. Uh, he's Slovenian, played for a pro team in the Croatian League. He was part of the FIBA 20U World Cup. Um, another international player. This is the third international player that Xavier has added to their team in recent weeks. And I tweeted earlier after this commitment, I quote tweeted you and I said, Rick, we thought that the Xavier roster was done for this upcoming season, at least with additions. We thought it was done after Gitas committed. Then we thought it was done after Lazar committed. And now, you know, I think I'm just going to stop tweeting about all of that because who knows what's going to happen now after this. I don't anticipate Xavier getting somebody else, but I also said the same thing two months ago. Uh, Rick, what can you tell us about Sasha Siani, I know you probably had a little heads up because you had the impact article ready to go. Uh, you broke down everything that you knew. You shared the film. But what more can you can you share with us uh, about Sasha? Yeah, I think I said this a few months ago that I'm done with saying any team is done in terms of putting their <laughs> roster together for the upcoming season at this point. Because you just never know with the way teams are building rosters, especially with the international component, because the timelines are a little bit different with some of those players, the way their seasons line up and even their years in schooling, if they're doing that and it's a transfer situation, all of that can be very different. So I think it's just, it's thrown things off and, and made it a little bit more chaotic than we're used to with the transfer portal going, the NIL stuff going. And now you've got this new international wrinkle that not only Xavier, but some other teams are utilizing to, to build the roster. And I, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, Paul. I'd actually be curious to hear what the subscribers at Musketeer report think, but if you're talking about the most valuable times in history to be a Musketeer report subscriber, I would go with last, like last year's, head coaching transition as number one all time since I've been running the site is probably the most valuable it's ever been. I think this is in competition for like number two right after that, just because what other offseason has, have we had that's like this? It's unprecedented in terms of the amount of roster turnover. You had all the transfers portal stuff in the spring, but now you get to the summer and not only are they adding guys, but it's international players that quite frankly, if you're just an average fan, you, I don't think you would have any idea of what's going on with the roster right now. So I do feel like the value in Musketeer Report is as high as it's ever been over the last few weeks. Trey's getting the really nice stroller, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully he's getting a college fund here if we can sell a few <laughs> more subscriptions. But no, Paul, I think the, the big thing with Sasha, though, is this was a guy that has been in the works for a while. Like even going back to the Lazar Djokovic commitment. I think Sasha was in the mix back then. It didn't quite work out that time. They ended up getting the commitment from Lazar, but this was one that they just kept working on. And there were a lot of hoops to jump through and some issues and hurdles that had to be overcome, but they just stayed with it. And eventually they were able to get him through, I think just before the deadline, because if you look with the school year having already started, I don't think we had a lot, a lot more runway to go uh, to get this done. But as it is, they added a, a third international commitment, a sixth freshman for this year, which is fascinating to see how that's all going to shake down in the next few seasons. And uh, 
you know, a guy who's really going to be in the front court and, and probably in the mix to compete for minutes right away this year. Yeah. And if you look at these three big guys and, and the timeline of how this has all happened, one thing I'm interested in your thoughts on, because just the way that this has all gone down, you mentioned the overlap. There are potential overlap, at least, between Lazar and Sasha today. How has all of this gone down? Did they realize at one point that you're probably going to get an international commitment then you start recruiting somebody else and you start recruiting somebody else. You have film on all these guys. You have your ideas of who you want, who you don't want, all of that. But this has been so staggered. Has there been a consistent timeline throughout the summer and, and the spring of how they wanted to attack this international piece? And they're just now landing the commitments? Or was it that they got Gitas, then they realized, oh, Jerome and Zach may not be available this year. We need to go get somebody else. How did that all go down or, or what do you know about that? Well, a few things to keep in mind is they've been really aggressive in their international market since this new staff arrived at Xavier. David Miller, Adam Cohen have really been working those international contacts and, and scouting those players ever since they arrived and really well before that. They're very involved in the NBA Academy and Basketball Without Borders camps and other things of that nature where they've seen all these guys. So they're really familiar with all these names and they've been working on them for a while. It's not something that just popped up. They didn't have any commitments prior to this summer, but they had been working names and been involved with different names throughout the last year plus as they've been here on campus. Now, um, in terms of how this all played out with these last guys, now, if you remember, before they even landed the commitment from Gitas, they were looking at other potential transfer portal options, especially for that forward hybrid wing type spot. Um, you had uh, a couple of different guys that they were close to and just didn't get You know, the kid from um, from St. John's that ended up at Memphis. David Jones um, would have been like a similar type player in that small forward power forward type role. So I think it, they definitely were interested in adding more pieces They're They're never done recruiting. I think that's one thing to understand about the way building a roster is in 2023. And especially with this staff, they're going to keep all their options open, continue to recruit all these guys. So if something does come up, they're ready for it. And I think with Gitas, they were still looking to add someone, no doubt. Then I think as it became clear, you know, they had the, the situation happen with Jerome and his health became a concern. Now all of a sudden you may need another body and um, with Zach as well, he had a setback with his foot situation and it's like, okay, well now you may need another body. So I think that definitely played a role with the second two additions, Lazar and Sasha Siani. Uh, but with Gitas, I think they were already planning on adding at least one more player at that time, if not maybe a, a, a second as well. Rick, you mentioned Jerome and Zach. Is there anything that you want to talk about now with, with their updates on their health? You reported it last week on the message board. Then Jeff Goodman put it out a little more nationally about Zach's anticipation this year or maybe that he's not going to be able to play this year if he comes back, that it could be late into the season if he was able to come back at all. Um, you've published a lot about this on the message board, but what can you give as a, as a health update with Jerome and Zach? Yeah, actually, I've been told that the expectation inside the Cintas Center right now is that neither one of those players will be playing this year. So uh, I think all of this is being done right now with the mindset that you don't have either one of those guys available. And um, that's obviously a huge blow to a team that had so much turnover already. You've got two of your most experienced players. And obviously with Zach, one of your, your best players over the last few seasons, one of your best scorers over the last few seasons, not able to go the way Jerome had a, a bounce back year last season and really stepped it up down the, down the stretch when Zach went out of the lineup with his injury. 
that's just a really tough blow for these guys personally, certainly for the team as well. And, and that's a, a terrible part of all of this, but um, that's, I think where this stands right now. So when you look at the front court, adding these guys like Lazar and Sasha to the mix, it seems wide open in terms of the minutes and how that's all going to break down. I think it's going to be a huge competition coming up here in preseason practices for who plays at those power forward spots and center forward or center, center forward, center, <laughs> center <spots>. forward. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Rick, let, let's get into the nitty gritty. Let's talk about Sasha Siani and what fans can expect on the court out of him this year. Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest thing, Paul, and I'll, I'll put up, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'll put up some video here. Oh, here we go. Here. Yeah, I think the biggest thing to see that's different from the additions with Gitas or Lazar is this is a center. I mean, this is a wide body, strong, low post player. He's not a face up guy. He's not maybe what you think of when we get into our stereotypes with the, the Euro big men where you, you think of a stretch player who's going to shoot the three and, and pass the ball on the perimeter a lot. He's doing a lot of pick and rolls a lot of uh, finishing at the rim, a lot of getting to the free throw line, a lot of setting hard screens and rebounding. That's really more of his game. That's where a lot of his offense is going to come from. So I think that's kind of where you start when you're talking about Sasha Siani. And that feels like it fits into this system pretty well, right? Yeah, I think especially the feel he shows playing within the pick and roll. I mean, obviously that's something that Xavier's big men are doing a lot of within this offense. It's a ball screen motion offense, and they're looking for their big men to be able to catch and finish, kind of like you're seeing right there where you're going to be in traffic, you're going to need some body control and some good hands and finish through contact. But also a trait that I think we've seen a lot of Sean Miller's targets and eventual commitments have is – they get to the free throw line a lot. And whether that's by design that he's actually looking at, do you get to the free throw line? Or it's more just that he likes hard-nosed players that are aggressive and, and get paint touches. I'm not exactly sure because we, you know, we've kind of talked to them about that and they never really mention free throw shooting specifically or getting to the free throw line as a trait they're scouting for. But I think it's something you see come up a lot with these guys and, and Sasha is no exception to that. What is the competition that he's playing against here? I think that's the most popular question we get a lot. Yeah, now what you're seeing right here in the European Championship, I mean, this is actually pretty high-level competition in some of these games. Uh, you know, these are these are events that the U.S. is no longer dominating. When you're talking about the World Cup or the European Championships, it used to be that, you know, the USA would go over here and, and they would blow out That's these teams. Nice with, yeah, there's, there are some nice passes. I mean, <laughs> a couple of really nice passes in here. All right, go ahead. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's, you know, in, in terms of the, the level of competition that you're seeing in those events, a lot of times it is pretty high level stuff. So, I mean, you know, there's some some clips there where you'll see him getting his shot blocked and uh, some guys that are much taller than him that he's playing against. It's not like everyone is a bunch of 5'11 high school players from Northern Kentucky or something like that. It's not your, your typical high school video. This, this stuff was high level. Now, in terms of the league that he was playing in in Croatia, one, I didn't watch any video from that, so I'm not sure what that looked like. And two, I don't know what you can take from those stats because I, I really don't know the level of that league. Uh, but in terms of this European championship, the FIBA stuff that we're watching right there, that's that's pretty high level basketball. So, uh, again, not easy to necessarily get a great evaluation off of it, but it, it does give you some idea. So between the three newcomers, you have Gidis, you have Lazar, you have Sasha. Is there one of them or, or maybe I'll compare Gidis and Sasha is there one of them that, that excites you the most out of the three? I know that the answer there is probably Lazar, but between Gitas and Sasha, it is one of them now excite you more than the other. 
Well, I think Lazar is the one whose film stood out the most. He looked the most yeah. impressive in terms of the the skill set and the versatility and variety of things that he can do. When it comes to Gitas versus Sasha, I think the thing with Gitas is he's so much older. I mean, now Sasha is tw- a twenty year old freshman, but he's twenty's a freshman. <laughs> yeah, but but Gitas has been playing professional ball for a couple years here. He's been around. He has a transfer coming in with probably only one year of eligibility left. I think his experience intrigues me a little bit more, at least initially, right off the bat, because you're looking for guys who can help you right away with the the Jerome Hunter and Zach Fremantle situations. Gitas feels a little more promising in that regard. But again, we're, I haven't even seen Sasha Siani in person yet. So when he gets over here, gets into workouts and and actually practices start up here in, in a couple of weeks, we'll actually get to see him go live with the rest of the team. That'll be exciting. And that'll give me more of an idea of where he's at. Outside of those three uh, European big men, there are other newcomers on this roster, right? You have three other freshmen um, or transfers too: Kachi, Abu, Logan Duncombe, um, between the three of them, now all of a sudden where we were talking in the spring about the post depth and what the team was going to have to do to add to the post. Now all of a sudden you have everybody. There's going to be a question mark of who can actually compete at the Big East level, who's going to go out there against Houston, who's going to go out there against Purdue and play at the level that they need to play. You have a lot of bodies. You and I were talking about that earlier today. They have a lot of bodies. Do they have a lot of skill? And that's that's the question that's going to be the, at least to me, the biggest question mark going into this season in the post. Yeah, it's like a lot of people are going to talk about the depth, and it's like, well, is it quality depth? Is it usable depth that you can actually throw out in a Big East game and feel like you have a chance to win? Or is it yeah. just you have a lot of warm bodies out there? And we're going to find that out. Preseason practices are going to be really competitive and really important for this team early on, I think, because there's probably still going to – you get into those non-conference games, you're still probably doing a lot of mixing and matching in terms of those front court spots. You've got six bodies now for two spots, really, the way I see it. And now Gitas may be a guy that's going to play the three a little bit, play on the wing some, not just be limited to that forward spot. But those other guys, the five other guys, are basically uh, fours or fives, I think, for the most part. You're talking about Lazar is a four. Uh, Kashienze has been playing at the four some, but he can also play the five we know. And then you look at the other big men that were already here with Abu and, and Logan, and now you add Sasha Siani to the mix. You've got three centers there. So it's going to be a lot of competition. And I think if you're asking me who has like the head start, Abu is going to have the experience and he already seemed to be the starter, at least heading into the Bahamas. So you'd like to think that he has a little leg up on the competition, at least initially, but Kashi was starting at the forward spot going into the Bahamas. So could it be possibly that he overtakes Abu at the five spot now, if you move one of these other guys into the forward spot, who knows? I mean, I don't think anything is set in stone yet when it comes to those four and five spots. Uh, preseason practice is really going to dictate all of that. It's it's funny thinking back to the NCAA tournament this year where Xavier's running six guys deep, right? Maybe, maybe a seventh guy here and there, but really Xavier's running six deep. Now the blue team is going to have eight deep in the first preseason practice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I mean yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like practices, okay, great, you got all these bodies, but when we get down to Big East time or even postseason time, how many of these guys will you feel comfortable using in one of those games? Will you have depth where you can run all these guys, or is, are you going to be limited to there's really only six guys here who can play at this level and, and you're in a similar situation? That's something that I just don't have a good feel for because, I mean, losing Zach Fremantle and Jerome Hunter at this stage of the game – just creates a whole lot of uncertainty in your front court. 
so you went full Big J journalist today and tried to figure out. You went straight to the source, right? You went straight to the NCAA and tried to figure <laughs> out what. I mean, you you just went right to the top. You're talking about the roster situation. Well, I'm talking the about the roster situation, Rick. So, so you're allowed to have 13. You're allowed to have as many players. So everybody could dress up. To the great Charles Bronson's point, we could have 10,000 people in uniform, and then only 15 are allowed to be in the book and play. I will say it is pretty incredible because I had asked multiple coaches at different schools. I had asked administrators at different schools. I had gotten all types of different answers for how many players you're allowed to have on your roster on a college basketball team. I had people tell me it's a conference by conference rule. Turns out that doesn't seem to be the case. I had people tell me that it's 15. I had people tell me there is no rule. So uh, I, I, yeah, I went to the big East first. They said, Basically, 15 is the number that you can have in the book, but we don't really have a rule on how many you can actually have on your roster. And we go by the NCAA's rule. We don't have a conference rule. So I went to the NCAA, and they essentially said, there is no rule for how many you can dress or put on your roster, but when you get to the NCAA tournament, you're allowed to have 15 in the book and playing in the game. So that is where it's at in terms of how many roster spots you are allowed. Now, I also will tell you, the people at Xavier have told me, it's not a concern. No one's being like forced off the roster or anything. The, the suggestion that they've had in the past is 15 players for the book, but they've already had years where they've dressed 16 and nothing's happened. No one has said anything about it. So I, I don't think this is really a concern. They are expecting to have all four walk-ons back from last season, the same four walk-ons. All will be back with this year's team. You're not going to lose those guys. Um, so I think the, you know, the roster situation is fine. It's not a, a big concern in terms of, are guys going to have to be kicked off or how is this all going to be sorted out? They will figure that out. But they only have 13 scholarships. Correct. Right. Yeah. You get every team gets 13 scholarships. And obviously now with the two new additions, you would have 15 players. Of course, that's if we're including Zach Fremantle and Andrew Hunter in that. And now sure. as far as how that all is going to be sorted out, I don't know that we're going to get a lot of public statement and clarity from Xavier. Uh, but I think it's pretty obvious what's going on here, right? Like they just added two more guys after we found out that two guys they were relying on probably aren't going to be available. So the first option is uh, guys can medically retire and you would get that scholarship back and it would go to someone else. Now, I don't know that you're going to hear Xavier say that publicly necessarily since it's involving pretty sensitive health stuff with multiple layers with both of these guys. Uh, so again, I, I'm not sure exactly how that'll be sorted out, but that is one option. The other option is that someone's scholarship essentially could be paid for with NIL money. And then again, that would not be coming from Xavier's athletic department. That would be coming from an NIL collective that is completely separate. And so I don't know that you'll hear a lot of comment from Xavier on that either. So that's it's, it'll, it'll be worked out in one of those two ways. It's not something to, to really be concerned about. And at the end of the day, you're really only going to have 13 scholarship players available because of, of Jerome and Zach being absent. Yeah, and then it really all, again, comes back to what we talked about a few minutes ago where you have all these guys, you have all this depth, but do you really have the depth and does it come down to the end of the year, just like last year where you have all of these scholarship players, but come tournament time, you're only playing six, seven, maybe eight guys. That's yep. just how it goes. That's going to be the big question. Yeah, and, th and like the thing is, they're going to battle it out in preseason practice. And then you're going to get into the non-conference and we're going to start thinking we know what's going on because the first couple of games, this is who started and played most of the minutes. I'll remind you, last year when they were in non-conference play, Kiki Tandy was starting and Jerome Hunter was like the last man in the rotation. So things change throughout the – and when you get into Big East play, it's still changing. So that's going to go 
times two or three with this roster because of all the turnover, all the new pieces you have, and, and certainly in the front court with all those guys changing places and, and fighting for positioning. So to do a whole reset on what we've talked about here and where Xavier is now, are expectations any different for this team? How do we even put together expectations for this team, whether it's a starting lineup, whether it's a preseason ranking in the Big East, whether it's making the NCAA tournament, making a run at Madison Square Garden, whatever it is, you and I are going to sit down in about 45 days and we're going to sit there with egg on our face as we try to predict every single game for the season. And we're not going to have any idea what we're going to see a week, two weeks after we do that show. Now we're going to have a better idea because we'll have been able to be at practice and see who can compete and who's in over their head or whatever, what in that sense of it. But still, I think there is a lot of uncertainty here and you went into last year, right? There was uncertainty because you had a new coach, but roster wise, there wasn't this kind of uncertainty. There wasn't this kind of turmoil and, and, and chaos going on with, figuring out who's available, who's not available. You're bringing in three international players, two players that you thought could potentially be all-conference players now all of a sudden aren't going to be on your team this year, assuming that that's the news that we end up getting. So all of these things combined, what do we expect? <laughs> We're sitting here right now. What is today? September 12th. What, what are we doing? What are, what are we expecting out of this team? What are you expecting out of this team? Well, I mean, you're you're exactly right, Paul, in that last year we knew pretty much all of the players. We knew – and again, we were a little bit fooled because like Kiki Tandy started initially and then Jerome Hunter ended up being a big part of last year's team. But going in, we felt like we had a good idea for how the minutes were going to shake down and who had a, a starting spot and who was next in the rotation, all of that. This year, I mean, I think we feel really good about the three guard spots in terms of who's starting there, who's getting most of those minutes. You've obviously got Davion McKnight at the point guard spot. You've got Quincy Oliveri at the shooting guard spot, and you've got Desmond Claude playing the three. And I think all three of those guys look really good in the Bahamas. I think they're going to continue to get more comfortable with each other and look even better by the time the season comes around. I would feel pretty good about those three spots if I was a Xavier fan. And then behind them, like Trey Green, I think is really exciting as a freshman. I think he's ready to play some minutes right away. So you, you kind of feel like you, you know your backup point guard spot already. And there are definitely some options on the wing. I know Cam Kraft is back at uh, in workouts and, and gearing up for the season. So it looks like he's going to be full go by the time preseason practice gets here, which that's exciting to see. Maybe maybe he can factor in on the wing there along with some of these younger guys. But the, on, the, on the perimeter, I think you feel pretty good about it. It just gets that front court where it gets really difficult to figure out if I had to go with my starting lineup today, and, and again, I'm I'm predicting who's going to start beginning of the season, but I'm doing that right now without having seen him start practice. I think I'd go maybe Gitas at the four because of his experience, and then I'll say Abu Usman at the center spot. Yeah, I would agree there. I, from the little bit I've seen, I went to one workout a couple of weeks ago, um, really haven't seen much of anything from these guys, but from the little bit you've seen, I, I think you're probably at least spot on with that on September 12th. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> yeah, as we, much as we can do. Yeah. We've had a few things on the message board here and there about the players. I'm actually, we're recording this on Tuesday night. I'm actually going to post some more stuff in the next day or two about some observations I've gotten from people from workouts that have been inside seeing Gitas and seeing Lazar Djokovic over the last few weeks. So there are some interesting things coming out there with those guys. That'll be all, 
all be on the message board at Musketeer Report in terms of how those guys are looking in these preseason workouts. But I, I think experience and guys that show some feel are really going to have a leg up early on as they get into practice. Like if, if you can get into the flow offensively, show you can make some reads and keep the ball moving and play with some pace on the offensive end, I feel like that's probably the best best thing you can do right now if you're fighting for these minutes at one of those spots that are up for grabs because uh, I think this team has a chance to be pretty good offensively with the guard play they have and and playing fast and playing with pace. If you can feed into that, I, I think you have a chance to get some early minutes and make an impact. So then where would you pick Xavier in a preseason poll right now in the Big East? If media day was tomorrow and you had a vote, where would you pick Xavier? I mean, that that is so difficult, because, but it's not just because of this Xavier team. It's also because the Big East is always difficult to predict. And I, I say this a lot, but I think like this year, if we're talking about the teams who feel like maybe they're a leg up or maybe there's a little separation going into the season, you've got uh, UConn, Marquette, and Creighton are in that group to me. I don't agree. I don't necessarily agree with Villanova the way everybody else does having them as a ranked team and having them in that group of those top three teams. I think those other three teams are a a cut above right now. Villanova to me still has to prove it, especially with Kyle Neptune. I would have them more in a group with Providence, Xavier and St. John's to me. That's kind of the next tier of like who, and, and maybe Xavier's more towards the bottom of that tier. Maybe Xavier's floating towards the next tier with all these uncertain T's going on so, in the front court. I don't know. That's that's what I was going to say. I I would pick Xavier sixth right now, and I I did that before we we started here, and I was kind of going through everything. I did it purely on process of elimination. So I'm looking at the teams that I'm pretty confident Xavier could be better than, and I'm thinking, well, Butler and DePaul are just total givens right there. Yeah. But they're both going very very here. There's not a lot of optimism coming out of Georgetown. There's turnover at Providence with a new head coach. So that's four. So you only got to get you one more. Uh, Seton Hall, you're not going to not gonna be. Yeah, I, I, I think Xavier will be better than Seton Hall. Yeah, that's what I mean. So if you're stacking from the bottom, I would say Xavier would be better than Seton Hall and Providence. That puts you sixth. I wouldn't pick Xavier over Villanova. I wouldn't pick him over St. John's. I would now. You can make an argument for St. John's, but I if you wanted to tell me that you would pick Xavier over St. John's, all right. I, I'm not right now. I'll, I wouldn't with Rick Pitino being in there and what he's assembled and the confidence that they have going into the year. But if you want to say that St. John's is worse than Xavier going into the year, okay, fine. But you're certainly not picking Xavier over UConn, Marquette, Creighton. So where does that leave Xavier? I think sixth. So somewhere between fourth, fifth, and seventh, eighth. Seventh. I, I mean, the, yeah. I mean, Xavier, I would be shocked if Xavier was worse than Georgetown, and they're not going to be Butler, and they're not going to be worse than Butler and DePaul. Butler and DePaul are going to be not good. Yeah, and I think when we get into the Big East and what separates these teams a lot of times, like it's usually you know there's one, two, maybe a third team that's better than the rest of the team, a little bit better for whatever reason. They got more experience that year or they just have the more talented roster. But then the rest of the teams feel very, very close until you get to the last team or two that's at the bottom. A lot of time that's been DePaul. Last few years that's been Georgetown as well. Um, But then all those teams in the mix, it's like coaching, winning close games, 
it's it's little things that kind of separate the seasons for the rest of those teams. And so, I mean, I think, you know, Sean Miller, you feel really good about the fact that you're leg up in coaching in a lot of ways, but with yep. all the turnover with this roster and um, you have some experienced guys, but lack of experience together and within this system, how does that all shake down? How does that make you feel? You don't know how all those things will play out, but I feel like Xavier is just in somewhere in that second tier of teams, I think. And, you know, it's it's the question is, are they towards the top of that tier? Do they squeak out some more of those close games? Or are they more towards the bottom of that tier? And and then with the Seton Hall, Butler to Paul Georgetown group, you know, that's that's yep. the question for me right now. Yep. It, NCAA tournament, you want to do this on September 12th? What what should be what should be the expectation right now? Do you what do you think the fans are at? given all the roster turnover that's happened? Do you think most people feel like this should be a tur tournament team going into this year? You know, it's it's weird to say that it feels like this should be a tournament team, but I definitely think between the coaching staff and the players that they've assembled, the talent is there to be a NCAA tournament team. Whether it becomes a cohesive unit or not, and they win enough of those really tough Big East games to get them over the hump. Because the other thing is, do we expect this team to beat Houston or Purdue? Probably not. If they win one of those games, that is a huge, huge resume boost for you. Okay. So then you also have, you're going out to Vegas, you get two pretty decent games. And then you have, so in the non-conference, you have to hope that Cincinnati, who knows, who knows how good Cincinnati is going to be, especially if they don't get the waivers for, uh, Aziz and for uh, uh, the Temple Kid Phillips, Jimmy L. Reynolds, or uh, God, why do I keep saying it's who am I thinking of? Jimmy Reynolds. I know it's Jamil Reynolds, but I for <laughs> okay. some reason I keep thinking his last name is Phillips. It's Jamil Reynolds. Yes, they don't get those two waivers. So then, which right now after last week, who knows if they do? So there's so much uncertainty. At least that if you if you lose the Houston and Purdue game and say you split Vegas. And, and you win the shootout at home, I think you leave yourself a lot of work in the Big East, and the wins are there because the Big East is going to be pretty good this year. So the wins are there for you to get into the tournament. I think it's unfair to say that this team should make the tournament, but I think having an expectation of this team being a 9 or 10 seed is not all that. You go do something like year and and go crazy then it's just all icing on the cake yeah i i guess i think that's where a lot of the fan base is at is just looking at who the coach is now they have a certain level of confidence and an ex, a baseline expectation that every year this team has a chance to be a tournament team because sean miller is our head coach and quite honestly i think that's fair is it fair on sean miller and his staff probably not but is that a fair expectation based on what we know in the college basketball world yeah, I, I think that guy gives you a chance. If you have a reasonably talented roster, that guy gives you a chance. Now, there is a ton of turnover on this roster. So do I think this is a tournament team? I think it's a bubble team. I think it's a very bubbly team. And uh, th they'll have the chance to play their way in, I think, by the end of the year. But I don't think that this is a team that's looking at – it's hard for me to see a scenario in which this team is like a four seed, five seed, six seed. I think it's going to be much closer to that – trying to play their way in at the end of the year scenario. Do, do you think that it's more realistic this team is a seven seed or that they miss the tournament? Probably. Here, here's the problem, though. If you're in the Big East, the difference between 
ma- making the tournament and not making the tournament is sometimes like you're an eight seed or you're out. Does that make yeah. sense? You know what I mean? No, I, like, yeah, not, I know what you I mean. I feel like yeah. a lot of times the Big East doesn't necessarily end up as like the 11 seed. I think it's very easy yeah. to win like your last two games and then go win a Big East tournament game. And now all of a sudden you're an eight or nine seed when you were right on the bubble the week before. So I don't know that's saying a ton, but I guess I would probably lean towards like if you said six seed, I would say definitely lean towards they're not making the tournament over being a six seed. Yeah. Seven, it gets a yeah. little more questionable, but I think I'd probably still lean towards not making the tournament. It's more like, yeah, because even if you, if you remember the 11 seed when Xavier went to the elite eight back in 2017, that wasn't an 11 seed. I mean, yes, that was the number next to their name, but think of the, remember the injuries that they had that whole year. And yeah, then they lost six finally, straight at one point. During, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, yes. Okay. That was the number next to their name, but I, that was not a team that that really was an 11 seed. And that, anyway, go ahead. Uh, do you have anything else we should talk about there with Xavier's expectations around the postseason before we have one other thing to talk about with the postseason to, to wrap up the show? No, go ahead. Let's, let's move on to our last topic here. All right. So the last topic was a headline that came out earlier this week. Um, it's the proposal for a new season tournament. It'd be the top 16 teams by the net in the Big 12, Big East, Big 10 that did not qualify for the NCAA tournament, they would be required to play in this Fox event if even if they are invited to the NIT. It's just the Big 12, Big East, Big 10. Uh, you're talking about conferences with Fox contracts here. This doesn't seem viable. This would be in Las Vegas, but it would be... In- these teams to basically do everything on pause for two weeks and then come back and play in a 16 team tournament that waters down the NIT too. Now granted the NIT has completely lost its steam in the last decade or so. Um, you know, just, I mean, it's moved out of Madison square garden. Now it's the NIT is just, it's trying to find its footing, but I, there were a lot of details reading this article about this proposed tournament that what, what are we doing here? Yeah, I, look, I have no interest in saving the NIT. I don't really care about that at all. There's no nostalgia wrapped up in the NIT for me. So I'm fine if that dies. The concern is the idea that TV con, you know, or TV stations, I guess, Fox, are going to start deciding how tournaments are handled, are going to start running who plays in what tournaments. And obviously the concern there is that eventually they're just going to dictate that okay, all you high major schools are going to break away, form a new tournament. We don't even invite the mid-majors anymore. We don't do business with them at all. We have our own tournament for just us, and it's exclusive to our TV platforms, and we'll pay you a ton of money to do this, and now we no longer have the NCAA tournament. I think that is somewhat of a legitimate concern, and so I I understand the hand-wringing around that. Now, at the same time, again, I don't really care about them killing off the NIT, I do think this is kind of an interesting concept that like, okay, if if you don't make the NCAA tournament, now your team is eligible for this other weird tournament that has nothing but high major teams left in it. It That is kind of interesting. And it is kind of cool that Fox is like staking their claim of these are Fox teams. If you're, if you're a big 10 team, if you're a big East team, if you're a big 12 team, you're a Fox team and you're in the, the Fox tournament. To me, there is, there is something that could be cool about that idea but I'm also with you that I don't really understand how it works if it, there's a two-week delay between the end of you know the end of them playing in their 
conference tournament or when their season ends and them participating in this event. That just seems hard to figure out for me. I don't know how they're going to do that. Um, And I also think one other thing for Xavier fans to look at here is if nothing else, this would seem to signal some pretty strong news that the, the, the contract negotiations between the big East and the Fox and Fox re-signing a, a longer term contract after it's their current deal is up. I think in, after the 24, 25 season yeah. is going pretty well. It would seem like that's likely to happen if they're staking their claim as the big East is included with the big 10 and the big 12 is one of their, their key franchises here. The one thing that I've said for a while that I wouldn't be surprised about with the big East as they go into like renegotiating the contract and everything like that after next season the 25 season but that'll be when they have to announce it too so it's it's not like they're going to leave this all to the last minute but i would not be shocked if there is a streaming component to this next contract or a, a more split contract now maybe fox says hey we love the big east we love what you've been doing you know i'm not privy to these conversations i'm just saying looking at the landscape and and the broadcasting outlets and and things you know people listening may not agree with this but there is definitely value in having a big monday game having the atmosphere getting you know the billis crew getting the dan shulman crew getting those big names from espn in to do games because you're getting visibility on the network you're getting the big games you're getting the big coverage all of that You don't get that right now with Fox, but what Fox does is they care immensely about the product. Fox loves the Big East. They care about the product, and I think they show that by putting this tournament together and making the Big East one of their cornerstones of this tournament. I think that really proves and backs up what you're saying in this, but I I am very, very interested, and this is kind of where my broadcasting nerd geek hat comes on. I really am interested to see in this next contract, whether the Big East stays exclusive. And I know, yes, there's a game here on CBS or a game there where Providence has a floor leak on CBS Sports Network. I understand that. And I think CBS Sports Network, I know not everybody gets that channel, but I think they do a phenomenal production. I love their production value. I think they put a lot of effort into those games. I really like CBS Sports Network games. Um, But I'll be very interested to see if there is, one, a streaming component, like our – is is Xavier and is Xavier and Oakland still going to be on FS1 in the next contract? I would be shocked, but maybe because that's how much the Big East and Fox get along, and that's how much Fox values the Big East. It very well could. And again, I'm just going based on on what I've seen and kind of the landscape of this. I wouldn't be shocked if those kinds of a game go to some kind of a streaming platform, whether that's ESPN plus or of a, a reinvented Fox sports go or whatever it is. I don't know, but wouldn't be shocking to me. You would think Fox would be coming up with something given their, their expanding inventory. When you factor in the big tens getting bigger, the big 12s getting bigger, you know, you still have the big East. I mean, they have got, they have a lot of inventory during basketball season now that you would think they're going to need some streaming option, or it's just going to be the contracts are all going to be much less exclusive in terms of where those games are airing on. So to your point, maybe you will see more on other platforms or just other streaming services completely. All right. Well, uh, hopefully we have a schedule here pretty soon. Um, and, uh, you know, we, Rick and I will do our schedule preview and all that when the season gets a whole lot closer. 
but uh, I would keep an eye out for the schedule pretty soon. It usually comes out around this time. Um, and if you don't have anything else, Rick, then thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon.